Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Relation Trips. This is Jennifer Yeoman, your host. On our last episode, we traveled through the power of forgiveness and how it can benefit any relationship. Today, we have a good friend of mine, a clinical psychologist with over 35 years of experience, Dr. David Yarborough, who will share some insight into what we can do to maintain our mental health and also how we can assist loved ones in getting the help they need to care for their mental health as well. So let's begin this journey by preparing for our trip. Hi, Dr. Yarborough. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jennifer. How have you been? Oh, good, good. Good. Well, I first want to thank you for allowing me to interview you. I know your time is precious, so thank you again. Sure. Yeah, so I'll start with the first question. And so especially because many people are growing in awareness to the importance of caring for their mental health, um, I'll ask, can you share why caring for our mental health is just as important as caring for our physical health? Okay. Well, you know, where we're, you know, a place uh, socially uh, and societally, uh, I think we're getting a little more aware of the need to attend to emotional issues. Um, it's very clear that a lot of physical stress, a lot of physical ailments are linked to um, depression, linked to anxiety. Uh, there was a study done a few years back <clears throat> that talked about the fact that three out of five people who show up in the general physician's office, the symptoms had to do with uh, a psychiatric symptom. Mm. So it would manifest in a physical condition. But we've we've been reluctant to believe that our mental health uh, is as important. Uh, I think partially because um, you know even even fifty sixty years ago uh, there was probably more of a, a stigma, and that uh, if you had any kind of a, a psychiatric symptom, depression, anxiety, um, that it was a comment on your adequacy as a person, your character, right. your morality. Um, and I think that is fading. But, um, you know, we we ward off a whole lot of physical symptoms by attending to mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Like um, some of the research shows that people who are diabetics, have type 2 diabetes, do better if they drop in see a uh, psychologist once a month. Mm-hmm. It's even more helpful uh, if that person has been trained, you know, in a medical setting, so they op- they recognize some of the correlates of you know what goes into <clears throat> the disease. But uh, for instance, diabetes, mood, and you know, um, stress affects uh, blood sugar levels, and that makes sense. And there was a project years ago where they looked at, uh, ty- you know, 
teenage diabetics and that they were more likely to act out and be kind of a difficulty to their um, their families if their blood sugar levels were fluctuating mm. and vice versa, that if there was stress to the family, their blood sugar levels would fluctuate. So, you know, it's, it's we're really linked in a way that, um, you know, our, our emotional stress definitely affects our bodies. Yeah. It's just becoming more and more, I think, intriguing for me, especially my experience with you and all the reading. Um, it's really taken me into a deep, deep um, introspective matter for myself and my family to make sure mm-hmm. that we are caring for our mental health um, along with yeah. our physical health. So then I'll ask, you know, especially with COVID-19, many people have been greatly affected and the suicide rates have increased. So can you share some possible signs that we can look for if we or even a loved one might be feeling suicidal? Yeah, the if you look at the factors that affect uh, that um, the bullet points that you uh, worry about for suicide risk, there are some classic things to look for. Um, and these are heightened by, you know, the lockdown, COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's happened with COVID is our social contacts have declined. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the contacts we have via uh, the Internet, via, you know, technology, you know, um, we, we've seen that, on, you know, online learning, virtual learning is not as effective. Right. And one of the things that we're in a bind about right now is that a significant amount of therapists are um, really embracing online therapy and probably never plan to go back even after the um, uh, pandemic is over. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's better than nothing. But the eye-to-eye contact you have sitting in the same room with someone and the way you read their cues, the way the sensitivity you have to their facial expressions mm-hmm. uh, is is really important. And, and if you're blocked off from having that immediate contact with people, uh, your own emotions blunt. Your face doesn't start to show emotions. So, and that can, and when a family is locked down, it's contagious. But one of the things that happens is family stress goes up. Yes. What we know about uh, suicide is that a significant risk factor is disruption of interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it depends. I mean, if a person's people who have sought treatment for suicidal ideation, relationship problems uh, was the number one stressor in their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second area is: uh, are they having problems work? As work disrupted, and with the pandemic, work has been disrupted. Absolutely. Sometimes people have lost jobs. Um, they're forced to work at home. I had a, a patient a while back that was, uh, you know, working from home in a medical job with um, a wife and three teenagers in the house. And, you know, they were a case review. So they had, you know, very little privacy, very little ability to 
concentrate on the work without interruption. Mm-hmm. And there was no boundary. They couldn't leave work. But, you know, the other things I look for is, is there a history of alcohol or drug use? Um, so many people have increased their alcohol use and drug use during the pandemic as a means of coping. I think alcohol consumption is up by 20%. Wow. And a, and a high proportion of people who suicide um, have in some way uh, you know, been intoxicated. It's much easier uh, to have the, the um, resistance mm-hmm. decline if someone has some alcohol. So, you know, the, is the person you're worried about using alcohol or any other, you know, sedative-type drugs? Mm-hmm. Very calming, but which also really deep in depression. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, there's an old um, term from years ago in studying suicidology. It was called psych ache. Does a person hurt psychologically? You know, are they in misery psychologically? So that tends to be a factor. Mm-hmm. Hopelessness. Uh, is the person disabled in some way? If you look at the rates of suicide for a particular group, disabled veterans, particularly mm-hmm. disabled combat veterans, are high, high on the suicide risk. And you know, we're becoming more aware of that. Um, but we have a, a system with the Veterans Administration that's overwhelmed with the ability to offer treatment to these men and women. Mm-hmm. So... Those are some of the risk factors. Um, Definitely some things to keep in mind and to consider, especially if we already know that our loved ones have been, you know, um, being affected by some of the things already. Right. So depression, uh, if we know they're, I'm sorry, go ahead. Another risk factor, too, is if the person has been recently hospitalized, if they've been um uh, a psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. People who are discharged, first discharged from hospitals are at much higher risk of suicide. Wow. Definitely so, important to know. Go ahead. I was saying just, it's, it's very important to know. At least we can have some some things in mind to consider. Yeah, I mean, hopefully for those people who have been hospitalized or getting out, have an appointment immediately um, with a psychologist or a therapist who understands suicide risk to kind of pick it up so they don't have a, a period in which they're kind of without support. Right. A lot of things to consider, definitely. Yeah. But those are the things we can pick up on. You know, what does our loved ones say? Are, are they hopeless? You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really listening to the speech that they use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So then I'll shift a little bit. And we've talked about this in the past. 
especially as a woman of color, we've talked about how men of color are very reluctant to receive help psychologically. So is there something you can share with those who might be listening that can perhaps move them to seek professional help if they need to, especially now? Yeah. Well, you know, in general, men are less likely. Um, in general, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, and, and particularly, you know, it, it'll have to do with kind of education levels too. Um, but in general, men are much, much less likely. Uh, I think one of the things you have to look at is if a person is a person of color and they've lived in a minority community, they've been subject to a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. They feel often criticized or in some way demeaned by a dominant white society. Mm-hmm. So there's a pride issue. You know, do I want to appear, you know, I, I know things are wearing me down, but I want to look strong. Mm-hmm. I want to be strong for my family. I want to be strong for my own self-image. So <clears throat> if I admit to the fact that this is wearing me down and I'm vulnerable, um, what does that say about me? Right. And I find that true in um, uh, in Hispanic culture. I find it true in Asian culture. I worked with an international refugee project um, 20 years ago in which we worked with uh, refugees from Africa, Southeast Asia. And all of the, the men in those groups were much less likely. Uh, to seek mental health care. Wow. So what you really need to do is try to find somebody that is experienced in working with men and understands those issues. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of times when people go to a psychologist's office or a therapist's office, uh, they're met with kind of a formal um, overly clinical uh, presentation. Mm-hmm. And I think that tends to make men feel, uh, you know, less at ease. Mm-hmm. So there has to be experience on that provider's part about, well, how do I join with this person? How do I connect with them? And I, I try to <clears throat> get through to those men by saying, hey, look, this is another way you can take care of your family. This is the way to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. With military men, and I've worked with, a lot with combat veterans, special forces veterans, um, I use military language. I will talk to them about the fact that, hey, you know, this is a new, this is new territory that you're not trained for. Mm-hmm. And part of what I can do is I can train you for this. And then you, you have to work on the, the practical aspects what's in it for you, how it would benefit those around you and how will it ensure that you are worth something. Men get most hopeless when they don't feel like they're worth anything. Yeah. And men define that most often in terms of what they do, what they earn. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some of the things that, you know, good to find a person that if there's a minister involved 
who can say, hey, look, you know, I can do a certain amount, but let me tell you about my, my friend over here, Dr. Smith. Yeah. You know? To be that know, he's a pretty good guy. He understands these things. You know? So the reluctance is there, and the reluctance is there, I think, from historical and, and cultural issues. I definitely like how you use the example, especially with men, with this is just another way of taking care of your family. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very helpful way to phrase that for encouragement. Yeah, the, go ahead. I was just saying for encouragement, I think that's a helpful way to phrase that. Yeah, and with the military guys, you have to talk about caring for the family and also, hey, you know, you have a mission. Yeah. You know, you have a mission to, to to accomplish here. And, you know, you have to be in the best shape to do that. Awesome. So, Dr. Yarborough, um, I know we're limited with time, but I would like to ask one more question. And that's just what else can you share with the audience that might be of benefit, you know, regarding caring for our mental health? Any additional points? Okay. Well, I do think that one of the main things people can do is they can stay connected with other people. If people have some kind of a a good spiritual connection, it's important for people to have a faith-based connection with other people. Mm -hmm. Staying involved and staying connected to people not isolating. Um, and that's one of the big difficult parts during the pandemic. Yes. I do think that um, uh, Zoom and Zoom services for, for religious services has been helpful. Definitely. Because there's a, more of a sense of connection there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and in this day and time, I find that, you know, people need to build in you know, some kind of enjoyment in their lives. You know, are they having any fun? I asked a, a young man the other day, and I said, are you having any fun? And, and he looked at me kind of surprised. He said, what do you mean? I said, what do you do for fun? He said, well, I, I work seven days a week. And he works seven days a week because he's trying to provide for his children. Yeah. And he wanted to put the money into a, you know, a college fund. But in the process of that, he didn't have time with his children. His stress level was through the roof. Mm-hmm. And he was getting up seven days a week to go to work. He had, a, he had a weekend job so that there was no downtime. There was, I said, when's the last time you felt any joy? Yeah. And I said, oh, gosh, you know. And then went back to some time he had with his kids. I said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's try to build some of that in. When's the last time you hung out with friends? Well, I don't have time. Um, and again, you know, I'm focusing a lot on men. The issue for men, too, is for so many of them, if they have, you know, been hanging out with their buddies, alcohol is involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's part of that kind of old male ritual. <laughs> you know, um, and I'm going to say, I love you, man. <laughs> you know that's uh, that's problematic. So 
you know, I think for people to have some way of kind of looking at themselves, uh, being gentle with themselves, assessing their own kind of personal functioning. Yeah. And I think that can happen. That can, I, I like to believe it happens, you know, really well with mental health providers. Um, but it can, you know, really happen through spiritual endeavors. Mm-hmm. You know, and do they have rewarding hobbies? Do they have pastimes? Yeah, something to get you excited. <laughs> yeah, something to get the blood pumping. Yes. You know, um, I can remember back in the um, probably late 80s, early 90s when I was doing a lot of hospital work. I was probably seeing 40 patients a week, outpatient. I had five, six other people in the hospital. And uh, uh, the psychiatrist I worked with was my big brother. And I was coming out of the hospital one morning. Uh, I'd already been there since 435. And he looked at me and said, you look terrible. <laughs> and uh, I had my three-piece suit and all that kind of stuff. And, and he asked me, he was joking with me. He's an old Cajun guy. He said, hey, you're going to take it with you? I said, what do you mean? He said, I figured you're going to have two caskets so you can take all the money with you. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, no, come on. Right? He said, no, no, man, you're working too much. You know? But I was, you know, 45 years old in the middle of my career. And yeah. uh, all I was doing was working. So I, I took him to heart. That's one of the things I think we have to look for. And do you know? And do we have mentors? <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. men and women. Are there people that are have gone before us, older than us, that are kind of like uncles or aunts that, that we can hang out with that uh, we look up to, trust? Yes. That seems to be dropping off. And one of the things that I find disturbing when I look at mental health work is uh, professionals typically don't seek to have ongoing supervision with other other professionals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In my day, uh, it was you know kind of a more common thing that you might drop in and see a senior colleague maybe once a month to talk about your cases and patients. And now you just don't see that done. You know, people don't want to they don't take the time. Um, and I think there's so much financial pressure on people mm-hmm. all the way around that we're so worried about paying the bills um, and improving our quality of life that we ended up reducing our quality of life and probably our life expectancy. That's a good point to make. Yeah. Like my buddy said, are you going to take it with you? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. A very good point to make. So in reality, reducing our life expectancy because we're working so hard to maintain where we are, but not truly exactly. enjoying life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that goes back to some of the old research done years ago um, <clears throat> about type A personality. And, you know, that go, 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 get it done. Uh, those people had increased, you know, cardiac problems, higher blood pressure, 
and sometimes they only stopped after their first heart attack. Wow. If that didn't kill them. Mm. I think it was the research was done by a, a, a physiologist, an exercise physiologist. Um, he was a runner. And he had a book called Treating Type A Personality. Well, you know I'm going to order that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I've recommended that to a lot of, you know, you know, push, you know, high pressure businessmen. And his his recommendation is you need to go out and run 12 minutes a day. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, my colleague, the psychiatrist I worked with for years, um, believed that, you know, exercise could be just as effective as medication. If you did the right amount. Yes. So these are all wonderful, wonderful points. And I think that the audience can really benefit from it, especially just sitting and being introspective to see, you know, how we can implement doing some things that are different and having more fun, exercising, having yeah. more fun, socializing as much as we can with our circumstances. Right. And exercise, find a partner to do it with. Yeah. Yeah. So it becomes, you know, kind of a, a buddy or girlfriend activity. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds awesome. So this will conclude our episode today. But Dr. Yarborough, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. So thank you. Well, it's my pleasure and I hope it's been helpful. Yes, absolutely. And hopefully we'll have you again. Okay, thank you. Alrighty, thank you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. So, my loves, this will actually conclude our first season. We've navigated through so many relationships. The foundation, communication, food, and marriage. But this is just the beginning. Our next season will be even better. If you have enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you can have all the updates for our future episodes and please leave a review. But if you need one-on-one support, you can reach me at www.lovetolivelifecoaching.com and on Instagram at Coach J Yeoman, and that's Coach J-Y-O-U-M-A-N. And please, please feel free to share this with anyone who might enjoy it. I'm Jennifer Yeoman, your wellness coach. And remember, to make this day great.